0: This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. Free stuff is great, isn't it? You can't help yourself but be driving along or walking along a street, and when you see free written on a sign and placed on a thing, you know you take a peek. You know that you can see it from a long way away that, let's say it's a a black pleather chair, that there's a rip in the side, but still, you see that word free, you take an extra second to look, because it's free. Hey, I'm not going to be giving anything up to get this. Right now, I don't have this, and if I choose to take it, which I can, then... I will have this. I'll have something extra. I'll have something free. And that's kind of the way that we deal with that word. If somebody says free pizza in the lunchroom, the stampede is absolutely unbelievable. How about if somebody were to say free transit? What would that do in, say, London, Ontario? It's a very good question. We are not expecting free transit because what else do we know about the word free in this life? Nothing's ever completely free, right? That pleather chair with the rip in the side also comes courtesy uh, with bed bugs or with, you know, a, a funky smell that you'll never get out of your basement again. Um, so you want to avoid that kind of stuff. It's never completely free. There's always a catch. Isn't there? Well, we're going to explore that right now in greater detail by having a look at how free transit is playing itself out in Kansas City. Because this is something they have been discussing for quite a while. And now we've got an announcement that they're doing it. We've got free transit in Kansas City. And joining us right now to talk about it is someone who's been following this very, very closely. Please welcome reporter Lisa Rodriguez to the program from NPR. Lisa, how are things?
1: Hi, thank you.
0: Let's kind of go back in time. When did free transit in Kansas City become something that people started seriously talking about?
1: Um, I think it's been a conversation behind the scenes for some time. But, um, but just became something that was really publicly talked about last summer. And, and to be clear, um, the free fare hasn't quite started yet, but the city's kind of given its green stamp and we're, and we're trying to find the funding for it. Uh, but the head of our transportation authority um, last year has been kind of talking about free fare. And then uh, kind of politically, the time was right when a new mayor and city council got elected and really got behind the idea, and that's when the ball really started rolling.
0: Gotcha. Okay, so we don't know how it is going to work yet, but it could it be stopped at this point? It is definitely coming? It might be coming? How does that sit?
1: Right. So essentially, the city council has said we're behind free fare and has directed our city manager, find $8 million in the budget, present it to us in January, um, and, and that'll get us started for for free fare transit. And as you mentioned before, nothing is fully free. So if it's from our general budget, that means it is taxpayer dollars. Um, but something that makes it maybe less of a big leap here in Kansas City, is that only about 10% of the revenue for the transit agency comes from fares. So $8 million in, you know, a billion and a half dollar city budget is something that is easier to wrap your head around than, say, if we were looking at something like 50% of our budget um, needing to go toward that.
0: Yeah, that is okay, that's big. 10% of revenue needed to operate transit in Kansas City comes from fares. That That's massive, yeah. I think, because I don't think we're sitting at 10% in London, Ontario, to tell you the truth.
1: Well, I mean, 10%, and our, our ridership isn't, um, you know, isn't as robust, and our transit system isn't as robust as maybe some other major cities. So when we're talking $8 million to get started, it's something that's a little bit more palatable here.
0: We're talking right now with reporter Lisa Rodriguez from NPR, and we're talking about Transit in Kansas City going fare free, as Lisa says, they've given it the green light. They're looking for eight million dollars. Which it, it, does it sound strange that eight million dollars doesn't seem that big? Does it? Does it seem big there? Because it doesn't seem that big if we were to talk about free transit. <laughs>
1: It's you know it's taxpayer money, so it's not insignificant. But truly, it isn't. It isn't as big as it would be in another city. And I think that's been something that has been surprising for people here to learn that there's not as much of um, not as much. We're not as reliant on collecting those fares um, as other cities are. A lot of the money for public transit in Kansas City comes from state revenues, comes from other local tax revenues. Um, and then I think another way that makes another thing that makes it easier to get behind in Kansas City is that a lot of our transit is already free. About 20% of our riders already ride for free. Veterans are free. Public high school students are free. University students are free. Safety net providers are free. And we have a free streetcar system. So the idea of free, fair transit isn't as new in Kansas City as it may be elsewhere
0: gotcha okay that makes it very interesting as well so it's almost like a, just another step in a process because all the way along i guess you've you've been able to make fares free for <laughs> veterans for high school students for post secondary students for everybody right. you listed
1: oh yeah so little by little, we've been chipping away at the amount that we depend on fares to to fund our transit system. so, in a lot of ways, Kansas City is kind of the perfect situation to do something like this, and the final step in it was was getting public figures and a city council and a mayor that was ready to kind of push it through and make that leap.
0: Lisa, have you heard much about what people hope this does?
1: i think um I think that there is there are a couple of things that people hope that it does. I think, um, you know, from the mayor and the head of our transit agency's point of view, they're hoping that that the money that people save on fares um, can just be poured right back into our local economy. They they argue that it's not going far. It's coming right back in in the form of sales taxes, in the form of groceries, in the form of your utility bills. But I also think that, you know, they're hoping that this will increase ridership in Kansas City. I think at you know we could probably absorb a 30% increase in ridership without changing a thing so there's there's room on these buses and i think that this is an incentive to get more people to to you know to actually take that step and get on a bus
0: how big has this story become nationally in the united states
1: i think it, it's it's become um, Kansas City has really put itself out there by taking this step, and a lot of different cities are watching. I think um, I think it's a it, it's a scary thing for a transit agency to kind of see you know going fare free, especially those that rely way more heavily on fares that we do. So I think at this point, cities across the country are kind of watching with interest because it's a, it hasn't been done on this scale before. So in some ways, Kansas City is a case study for the rest of the country.
0: Well, you're not just for the rest of the country. In Canada, we're pretty interested, too. So, Lisa, thank you so much for your coverage, and thank you so much for your time today. Hey, thank you. That is Lisa Rodriguez, reporter with NPR in the United States on fare-free transit. We get caught up in headlines an awful lot, and I think if you get caught up in the headline of Kansas City having fare-free service, immediately you think, well, if they can do it, why can't we? And then you dig into it a little bit more, and what we found out just now was that it would cost $8 million, but let's face it, there's still a a lot of free transit in Kansas City as it stands, and only 10% of their revenue comes from fares. So those are big, important points. Still, we look in London and say, how can we improve? How do we make things better? And LTC doesn't get enough credit for how often they do that and ask that question. Because if we look at the fare hike that is coming up in the new year, we have to look at why it is coming in. And this goes back to the Ford government rolling back on where gas tax money was going to go. And because of that, not as much was coming in to LTC. And they went, look, we have no choice. We haven't seen many fare increases along the way. So... What we need to do is give this some local context. And London Transit Riders Alliance has been formed and is looking to give that voice to transit users in London. And joining us right now is Joel Adams from London Transit Riders Alliance. Joel, thanks so much for being a part of London Live. Thanks for having me here, Mike. When you think free transit, is that uh, that something that you would even think would be an interest in london or is it something that should be on the table in london what do you believe
2: well i think you already said it off the top of the top of the segment uh, nothing is really free um it's fair free transit it's at the point of use that uh we're looking to make things free and we think that london is the ideal city in canada for this to happen uh for the first time and i think kansas city is paving the way as a you know even a larger city in the u.s and i think we can uh, we can step up here for lots of reasons
0: Okay, let's start looking at those reasons. What would you see as being advantages to finding a way? Because it would be finding money. Like you said, it's not free. You'd have to find the money somewhere else. But what would be the advantage to funding what we would call fair-free transit?
2: Well, I love the, the analogy you made about the gates. When you see cities around the world um, facing congestion issues and they're simply running out of space for all the vehicles, all the people. You know, whether they're, they're bikes and cars, buses or pedestrians, at some point, unless we start tearing down buildings, uh, there's just no more room to widen the roads. So we need to find smarter, better ways to move people around. And we already have that in transit. And we actually have a pretty efficient transit system in London. We think that we can bring more people to it, shift them from one use to another um, with uh, with the incentive of having fare-free transit in place.
0: And in terms of riding transit right now, it's great to hear that you are, you know, speaking positively about the transit system because it does take a lot of flack. Do you think that's fair in any way? Well, I think, uh, you know,
2: there's lots of room that we need to improve. And I think one of the things to consider is that the, the flack shouldn't necessarily be directed at the LTC or higher levels of government. We've underfunded transit in London um, more than any other city in Ontario for decades. Um, and uh, you know because of that, we've had to develop a very efficient system that actually gets pretty high usage, um, but at a level of funding much lower than others.
0: And that right there doesn't seem to to meet in the middle, does it?
2: It doesn't. but if we were to just bring things up to the 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 average, the typical um, uh, investment that other cities are making, then we would have a great chance to deliver something like fare-free transit.
0: Well, it is in the discussion phase, at least, even if it's not being discussed in meetings at LTC on a regular basis. It's it's certainly in the discussion phase and being put out there on the map by places like Kansas City. We're talking with Joel Adams, who is with London Transit Riders Alliance. So in terms of... of putting something like this in place you mentioned that that there there are things that you would like to see improved if you would look and say okay this this needs to be done even before we get the fare-free service would there be anything that you could point to
2: well i actually think that fare-free free transit can happen without those improvements um you know one of the things that would happen as we draw more people into the service is we'd identify where the real needs are we know existing needs today where people absolutely have to use transit but there's a lot of places where people would shift their use um you can think of um a lot of nightscapes um where you've got ten thousand people coming in and out of the downtown and um you know the opportunity for people to meet somewhere uh or leave from their home you know move free into the downtown and not just come in and out with transit but also um Uh, You know, go out for drinks afterwards and not have to worry about driving home. You know, those kinds of shifts in usage amongst people who are not necessarily typical transit users today are the kinds of opportunities we would see um, just by some uh, changes in fare costs.
0: Yeah, and you bring up a great point if you look at other cities that have made use of light rail. Once they get it up and going, and I know Kitchener and Ottawa are still kind of in that phase, but that's one of those things where if you go and you park at a station, you're kind of free to move around, and oftentimes people will be able to go out and and not have to worry about driving home or any of that sort of thing, or the congestion downtown, or, or where to park, or how much it's going to be. So you raise a great point there. What do you believe needs to be done to maybe spark this conversation a little bit more than it already is?
2: Well, I think we can't really wait for anybody else. And it's great to see there's a, a rally being planned uh, next week in London um, by, you know, businesses and nonprofits that have kind of come together. And there's almost a thousand people already uh, interested in coming out to that. Um, I think voicing our concerns and the opportunity to our counselors is really key. And I'm also uh, looking for business leadership. I've talked to manufacturers and developers who are interested in the idea. Um, if they can have more people taking the bus to work, then that means their parking spaces can be converted into plant expansion instead of all this parking lots. Um, if, uh, you know, small business owners didn't have to have all their employees parking and taking up spots because they could afford to take the bus that would give so much more opportunity for customers to be able to come in and out with their cars. So it's not about completely getting rid of the car, it's about um you know making the whole city operate better. And I think hearing from people in different parts of our economy, different parts of our citizenship um speaking out about this is how we're going to be arrive at some way to creatively afford this going forward.
0: Well, We'll see what does happen. Joel, we really appreciate your insight and the conversation today. Would the best way to reach you be through the London Transit Riders Alliance Facebook page?
2: Yes, absolutely. And there's a fairfree.ca links to a petition on uh, the London Transit Riders Alliance's uh, website as well, fairfree.ca.
0: Fairfree.ca. Joel, have a great day. Thank you. Thank you for raising this. I'm sure we'll talk again. Take care. Take care. That is Joel Adams from London Transit Riders Alliance. So the idea that fare-free transit should be examined to a greater extent. Kansas City is going to play guinea pig. Again, can we match the dollars and things like that? No, we're, we're having issues with the dollars right now. That's why we have a fare increase coming. But do we look elsewhere? Can you find it elsewhere? experimentation can have its advantages, right? It can. If you don't try something, you don't experiment with something, you don't even know you like it. You experimented at one time in your life with the Brussels sprout. You did. You cut it up. It was on your plate. You may have been at an age where someone told you, you don't eat that, you're going to sit there all night. That may have been the ultimatum you were given. So, inevitably, you did the experiment. You took a piece of that Brussels sprout, you put it in your mouth, you tasted it, you swallowed it. Given that you were probably young, you hated it. You have to let your taste buds die a bit before Brussels sprouts taste good. Or, my wife Kirsten has this amazing recipe that has bacon in it, and butter, and I love them. Maybe it's because I'm old and I can't taste them anymore, but fantastic. But you do that experimentation, and that gives you a path in life and we've done that over and over and over again if we didn't experiment with stuff we would not have any of the advantages that we have now you absolutely have to experiment thank you to ben franklin for sticking a kite up in the air that was an experiment huge for us huge so when it comes to experimenting is there a line is there a line we know that we have many animals who have given their lives, have had their lives altered in order to push science's agenda forward. That's why we have the term guinea pig. Rats, mice, dogs. Sure, it happens. But in the end, we've seen some advancements. We've also seen some failures. Again, do we get to a line where you say, no, this is not right? In China, their, let's call them rules, a little more lax. And so we have a story that actually appeared on globalnews.ca overnight, had a neat little picture on it. It was a picture of what was a little piglet, easily identifiable as a piglet. Didn't look anything like any other creature at all. It was a piglet, a little tiny pig. And that particular pig had apparently been alive for about a week. It had died. But in the interest of science, something remarkable had taken place. And that remarkable thing kind of asks the question do we need a line? Before we make that judgment, let's learn a little bit more about this. Josh Elliott posted the story. He is a global news online journalist. As we look at chimeras, Call them maybe pig monkeys. Josh, there's that picture. It's it's right here on this computer. It's a nice picture of a pig. But when you look more closely and you read a few words that come along with this, this isn't just a pig. Can you tell us, for anybody who is at globalnews.ca right now, what we're looking at?
3: Yeah, so it's basically, it's mostly a pig. I would say more than 99% of pig, but it's just a little bit of monkey. And that's what makes this thing so... Uh, innovative and scary in some ways too. It's a, it's a pig that is the first step towards trying to create pigs that can grow human organs. And this one was made with a little bit of monkey DNA.
0: Okay, so pig, monkey, this was not happening in Toronto. This was not happening in London, Ontario. Where was this being tried?
3: Uh, it was happening in Beijing, so in China. And uh, China has really been trying to push this and uh, and figure out if they can be the ones to come up with uh, hybrids that can live and eventually create organs that they can transplant into humans. So, uh, you know, it's a, it's a really cutting-edge thing, and it didn't work perfectly. I mean, um, it's very difficult to create pigs in the way that they did it. And, you know, they don't, these ones didn't live long. They lived a week. But the fact that they were born instead of just dying in the womb or anything like that is, is huge, So
0: that was part of the success then? You just mentioned they didn't live longer than a week. They don't worry about that. The fact that they actually got here, that was the success?
3: That's right, because a lot of this experimenting, uh, it goes on at the embryo stage, and they kind of see, uh, can we put this creature on the path to growing into a full adult and then giving us all the things we want? But there's a lot of ethical concerns around creating hybrids, especially with humans. Uh, So with pigs and monkeys, monkeys are close to humans, uh, the test was to see if they could bring something to term instead of killing it early on. So uh, it is a big step, and uh, we, we are going to see more of these things in the future and potentially ones that live longer than a week.
0: Global News National Online Journalist Josh Elliott with us. As we talk about, we could call them pig monkeys, but Josh, what are they actually called?
3: Uh, they're actually called chimeras. It's a It's a scientific term for a creature that has... Uh, two sets of DNA in it. So this one's got a lot of pig DNA and a little bit of monkey DNA that they added at the IVF phase.
0: And I think if we look in the lore of different countries, chimeras are scary things that come around at at night. So this at least puts a nicer face on it, a nice little piglet's face with, uh, like you say, monkey DNA. So in other words, you're letting us know we should expect to see more stories like this if if it creeps you out, if it makes you think, wait a minute, we're uh, we're playing God here. Uh, This is something that's not going away, is it?
3: Exactly, it's only going to become more intense and we're going to see more, uh, and eventually the, the dream, the golden era that they're picturing is someday they can grow you your own little pig and this pig will have all kinds of organs that match yours specifically and they can take them out of the pig and put them in you, so. This mad science is down down the road, and we may see it one day.
0: How wild is that? And then people who may not like this right now are left with a different question. Well, you know, my heart's not working like it used to. It's not working like it should, but there's that pig over there that has another one of my hearts in it. Yeah, uh, it's me or it's ethics, and that'll be the question that people run into. Josh, thank you so much for outlining this.
3: No problem. Thanks, Mike.
0: Josh Elliott. Global news online journalist on chimeras, or in this case, pig monkeys. Uh, Trevor has said, Mike, uh, my or Trevor says, Mike says, my wife makes Brussels sprouts with bacon. They seem to taste good, but my taste buds are old, so who knows? <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's kind of exactly what I what I was getting at. That was the experimentation. This is a little bit different, though. This this is a little wilder. This is essentially saying, okay, you can grow another organism that will be alive and will have organs that you could make use of just in case you might need one. If you look right now, it puts a line down that's very fuzzy, that's very hazy, that's surrounded by gray area on both sides. You've been listening to the London Live Podcast. Catch the show live on weekdays from 1 to 3.